Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. I'm excited this morning because I'm preaching on my very, 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 very favorite subject of all. I love preaching about deliverance. I do, and getting set free. I do, but I'm not preaching on that. I love, I love preaching on giving and giving financially and see how the miracles that God uh, bestows upon us when we give financially. I'm not preaching on that. I love preaching about marriage, especially when my good-looking wife is right here, and I can brag on her, but I'm not preaching about marriage today. I get to preach about the cross today. It's my favorite subject. It is the subject that is more close to my heart than any subject on the face of this earth. I love the cross. You know, when I got saved at an early age, and even when I rededicated my life at an early age, you know, it's one of those things that I just didn't know what I didn't know. And the cross meant to me that all my sins, my past sins, were wiped away, and now I'm cleaning them. I'm whole before the Lord, and I'm saved. But the older I get, the more I begin to know about the cross. The, more, the older I get, the more the cross becomes even more real. And the more I realize my mortality and where I would be for eternity without the cross, the more I realize here on earth where I'd be without the cross. You see, the cross has the power to, de to destroy fortresses. It has the power to break the heart of man in a precious way to allow us to press into his presence. It has the power to literally change a destination of a soul from hell to heaven. The cross has the power to, to, the power to heal a person that is lame, that's blind, that has cancer has the power. The cross has the power to drive out darkness in our lives. The cross is a precious, precious subject. We need never, ever, ever take for granted the cross and what Jesus did on the cross. Well, this past week, my wife and Lisa and I, my wife Lisa and I and my daughter Sarah, my wife and Lisa... <laughs> I only have one of those. Hey, it took her 27 years to train me, and she ain't getting another one. All right, here we go. And Sarah and I watched a movie that came out a few years ago titled Everest. You know, it's uh, based upon the book, the 1997 book, Into Thin Air. And it was a story about uh, a group of people climbing Mount Everest. Mount Everest... Uh, it scales higher than 29,000 feet. It's the highest point on earth. It literally is the place, the height, where most of our airlines cruise. Okay? Our jet airlines cruise up close to 30,000 feet. You know, during the movie, and it's a reenactment of a storm that comes in with this group. And there's, it's a heroic thing of seeing people make it down the mountain make it to the top and make it down the mountain, but it also has a terrible storyline of losing eight people to the mountain. You see, Everest is still the greatest challenge of all mountain climbers. 
1921, 1921 was the first time that Everest was attempted that we know. And not until 1953 did somebody successfully attempt to climb Mount Everest. During that time, over 265 people have lost their lives trying to climb Mount Everest. Most of their bodies are still up in the mountain. Today, over 4,000 people have successfully climbed Mount Everest. You know, it's interesting that it takes about two months to climb, not because you're from the base and you go all the way to the top, but you have to get your body there and you have to begin to acclimate your body because of the lack of oxygen that you're going to be dealing with. And so it takes a long time to acclimate. During the climb, there's no doubt that the temperatures get down to 10 below, 20 below at times. Wind chills, when storms come in, could literally be negative 100 Chill factor. I'm out. Okay, I'm out. I ain't as young as I used to be. I'm out. That is way too cold. You know, in the Bible, we see that there are a number of different mountains that God calls his leaders to climb in order to connect with them. I think of Mount Carmel. You remember Elijah. Uh, is, it, this is where Elijah was there and he had the sacrifice and he went to the 450 prophets of Baal and said, Go ahead. Have your God burn this sacrifice up. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they couldn't do it. And then Elijah goes and says, God. And he strikes fire down there on Mount Carmel. You think of Mount Sinai is where Moses went up to meet with God. And that's where God sketched and engraved the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And he came down, and of course, they were dealing with the golden calf issue at that time, but that was Mount Sinai. Mount Moriah, Pastor Dustin has talked about this. He started the series, Climbing Higher, um, and it was where Abraham was was called to sacrifice his son Isaac. And God said, "Come, come, come climb the mountain, meet me, and sacrifice your son, by the way. I'm like, wow, sacrifice your son. And right before Abraham honored and obeyed God to sacrifice his son. There was a ram in the thicket. And that's where he said, the Lord will provide. We see in the theme verse that Pastor Dustin has been, uh, has been leading us through. The theme verse in Genesis chapter 22, 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord... It will be provided. You know, that's the very first time in Scripture that God called Himself the Lord will provide. Very first time in Scripture that He called Himself the Lord will provide. We know the name as Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And so we understand He's the Lord that will provide. He's Jehovah Jireh. Today I want to just... Um, I want to just interrupt and join in on this Climbing Higher series. And I want to talk to you about a new mountain in the Bible that we've not touched on yet. It's the highest and greatest mountain in the Word of God. It's the mother of all mountains. It's Mount Calvary. It's Mount Calvary. You might know it as Golgotha. Or the place of the skull. Yes, it's the hill that Christ died on. You know, previously in Scripture, on a multitude of occasions, we see that God called 
forth his leaders to come to the mountain to connect with him. But on this occasion, on Mount Calvary, on this situation, God himself, through the person of Jesus Christ, decided to make the journey to the mountain. He made the climb. After Jesus climbed Calvary, no longer would man have to climb a literal mountain to connect with a distant God. But because Jesus sacrificially climbed Calvary with the cross upon his back, now we have immediate, intimate, and personal access with him. That's what Mount Calvary did for us. We no longer have to climb higher on mountaintops to be in his presence because we can come immediately into his presence to climb higher spiritually as we pray, as we praise him, as we worship him, as we lean in and press into him. At that point, we're climbing higher. We're experiencing Jehovah Jireh. Today, I encourage you. Climb higher, press in, lean forward. You know, each morning, each day, all throughout the day, we have an opportunity to press into Jesus and His cross. And when we remember the cross, we're climbing higher. You know, when we thank Him for the cross, we're climbing higher. When we remember and we're grateful and we worship Him for spilling His blood upon the cross, we're climbing higher. We're climbing higher. The more we focus on the cross, the higher we will climb. Do you hear me? The more we focus upon the cross, the higher we will climb spiritually with him. I think about Paul. Paul in the Bible, before he was saved, he was a persecutor. Man, he was like kind of like an ISIS kind of guy. Crazy. Look for Christians to kill. He, killed the, he was in charge of killing the first martyr in the Bible, Stephen. But then, on the road, he got saved. He got saved. He got touched. His life was changed. And I think about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, when you think about this, think about him writing this passage. He says, For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. How could he go on? How could he go on with life knowing what his past was? Remember Pastor Dustin says, altitude changes perspective. The higher we climb with God, with understanding his cross, the sacrifice that was made for us, the better perspective we have to see, man, I see the cross. Yes, I know the sin, but I see the cross. Yes, I see the carnage. Yes, but I see the blood that's covered me and cleansed me and forgiven me. Will you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15? Mark chapter 15, verses 22 through 39. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. But he didn't take it. They crucified him. Dividing his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on the right and one on the left. <clears throat> Those who passed by, they hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So... 
Who are you going to uh, so who are you who are you going to destroy the temple and build it in the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves he said save yourselves they said but he can't even save himself verse 32 let the messiah the king of israel come down from the cross that they may see and believe those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. They just ridiculed him. They just made fun of him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at the three, <clears throat> at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. This morning, I want to encourage you to climb higher. I want us to focus on the cross this morning. So when Jesus, when he went to and he climbed Calvary for us. He did three things. Three things he provided. Jehovah Jireh provided for us. First of all, he provided a picture of love. The cross will always be a picture of love. It's the greatest symbol known to man. The cross. And every time we see the cross, it is a picture of love. You know, this world has a fundamental need that each and every one of us have. And it's the need to be loved. Even infants, if there's been studies that when infants are not loved and touched and cared for, there, is, there, there, there are detrimental things that happen in their life emotionally and psychologically. We all need to be loved. And the cross is the beautiful picture of love for each and every one of us. It's not just for some. It's a picture of love for all. It's a symbol of love for each and every one of us. You know, the why behind everything Jesus did on the cross was love. The why behind everything that Jesus did on the cross, it was love. We see in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. Okay? doesn't mean that He loves. He literally is love. First John, excuse me, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But it, it all starts with God so loved the world. Romans 5.8 says, For God demonstrated His love. He proved His love to us that while we were still yet sinners, He sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to him from afar. I love that. Because there are many times where I feel like I'm far away from God. Have you ever been there? Feel like you're far away from God? And he says, The Lord appeared from him from far away, saying, Hey, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I'm drawing you to myself with my loving kindness. You see, the love that we get from God has nothing to do with performance. It's nothing that we did right, nothing that we did wrong. you got to understand that God literally cannot love you any more than He loves you right now. 
He's never going to love you less than he loves you now. He'll never love you more than he loves you now. We've got to get off of this performance base. If I do good, then God loves me. No, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you were doing last night. It doesn't matter what you've been through this last month. It doesn't matter where you've been. God loves you, period. Take a look at the cross. It's a picture of love just for you. For the mountains in Isaiah 54, for the mountains may be removed. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Mountains be removed, okay? That's, a, the, that's an earth-shaking deal. The mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. You see, Calvary, Mount Calvary, that love is for all of us. If you've ever doubted God's love for you, you're not looking in the right place. You're not looking at the right picture. Because if you were looking at the picture of the cross and what God's heart was when he sent his son to die for you, you'd understand he did it because he loves you. Even in the midst of knowing where we've been, knowing where we're going to be, he knew you. And he still sent his son because he loved you. I pray that today, if you struggle with the love of the Father, I pray that today, if you struggle understanding God's love and experiencing God's love, that you would take a real clear look at the picture of the cross. For the more we focus upon the cross, the higher we will climb with him. And the, the higher the altitude, how the, the, what is it? The perspective will change. Our perspective changes. Secondly, not only do we see that he provided for us through the cross, the picture of his love, but secondly, a pathway to forgiveness. We all need a pathway to forgiveness. The Bible even tells us that you're dead in your trespasses. That's not good. First of all, dead. Secondly, trespasses. That just can't be good. But he says it very clearly. We are dead in our trespasses. We need forgiveness. But you have to understand there's a spiritual principle according to the Bible that's required. Bloodshed is required for forgiveness. You say, why? I don't know. I did not make the rules. Okay? I didn't. I'd like to change the rules. But I just want you to understand Christianity is a very bloody religion. Because it requires blood for forgiveness. You, you think about in... As a matter of fact, in, in Hebrews chapter 9, 22, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. I mean, there's certain things I'd like to change. That might be one, but I'm sorry. Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve first sinned, the first thing that God did was he put clothes on them. They hid themselves with fig leaves. Have you ever felt the fig leaf, by the way? Holy moly. You'd be looking for some leather, I promise you. It's all scratchy. I mean, they're, I mean, they're full of shame. They're like, you know, putting fig leaves on themselves. And I mean, could you pick something else? I might even want poison ivy more than that. I mean, and so they had fig leaves, fig leaves and they were shame. 
And God said, hey, hey, hey. And what did he do? He killed an animal and put the skins on Adam and Eve. You see, bloodshed and forgiveness. It was the very first mention of bloodshed for forgiveness. You think about in the book of Exodus and when Moses was, went forward and, to Egypt and said, hey, you let my people go? And Pharaoh goes, I don't think so. You know, and finally, plague after plague after plague after plague. The last plague was the plague of the death angel being sent to kill all firstborn. Women, men, children, animals, all firstborn were going to be killed. And the people of God were like, oh no, what do we do? And there was a very clear, specific answer. Get a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, the spotless lamb. Sacrifice the spotless lamb. Get the blood, okay? And wipe the blood on your doorpost. And the death angel will pass over your home. You see, the spotless lamb, the Passover lamb, that's why we see in Scripture when Jesus, you know, many years later showed up on the scene and he was called the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God to be slain for the sins of the world. Jesus paid a high price on the cross. He paid a high price physically. You know, man has never devised a method of execution where it surpasses crucifixion and bodily suffering. It was so bad. The Romans perfected it so much. It was so bad that they literally, it was so cruel that they literally would not let a Roman citizen ever be placed upon a cross. But Jesus was placed upon that cross for six hours. And all the pain and agony that went with it physically. Not only was it a painful price to pay, but it was physically, but it was a painful price to pay emotionally and spiritually. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him, who Jesus, who knew no sin, he was perfect, sinless, spotless lamb, to be sin for us. He literally, the one who had no sin, became sin for us. Just think about how you feel when you commit sin. Think about the whole, being perfect, we can't imagine, being perfect, never having any sin in your life, and having the sin of the entire world, past, present, and future people, world, placed upon you. And it says that we might be, become righteous for him. The Message Bible says this in the same passage. It says, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong. So we could be put right with God. Emotional pain. The sin of the entire world equals separation. For the very first time, our anger, our lust, our, uh, our thoughts, our jealousy, our insecurities, our bad motives, our junk, all of our junk was placed upon Jesus for the very first time. Jesus was totally separated from God because we understand sin separates. Darkness came upon Jesus. Loneliness came upon him. He felt abandoned by God. You want to know the definition of hell? 
being totally separated from God. And that's where Jesus was. Mark, that's why in Mark, this, this passage, Mark 15, 33, it said, My God. He cried out, My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Why? And it's interesting that later Jesus came and said, and he said, I will never leave you or forsake you to his children, to us. But he says, why have you forsaken me? Do you know that was the first and only time in Scripture that Jesus prayed and did not cry out, Father, Father, and address him as Father? This time it was, my God, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, the pathway to forgiveness not only requires blood, but it also requires our confession. We've got to confess. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. Man, that's, Jesus does all, pays this terrible physical, emotional, and spiritual pain in his price for us. And what we have to do is we have to acknowledge the cross and we have to confess our sin. If you're faithful, it, it, the scripture says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sin. And so... We confess our sin. God's faithful. He's just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. I wonder, do you spend time confessing your sin? I'm not talking about sin that you've confessed over and over and over and over again. Because we understand it says that there is, there is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But fresh sin, unconfessed sin. Do you confess it? Confess it quickly. Because when we confess our sin, we begin to experience the forgiveness. That's what the scripture says. I love some of the, the, the scripture. Uh, it says that he will cast our sin into the depths of the sea. Could you imagine? Have you ever lost something in the beach? At the, at, at the beach? You know, just I mean, the waves come in and out, and it's gone. Bye-bye, whatever it was. Okay? Could you imagine all the water? I think, what is it, two-thirds of the earth is water? And he he literally places that sin, our sin, into the depths of the sea. That's why he says, as far as the east is from the west, I've removed them. He says in Hebrews 10, he says, their sins and their lawless deeds or their lawless acts, I will remember them no more. I don't know how God, who's all-knowing, okay, can remember our sins no more because I remember my sin. Okay? But, but I finally came to a point to realize the reason and the way he can forget our sin is he chooses to. He's God. He's made it. He's like, hey, I'm God. I can just forget your sin. Your sins and your lawless deeds, I'll remember them no more. We need to climb higher by focusing on the cross and receiving our forgiveness. We can maximize the cross, but we've got to minimize our sin. So many of us maximize our sin and minimize the cross. And this is a key principle you've got to grab a hold of. If you want to live a life of victory, if you want to live a powerful life in the Spirit and in the ways of the Lord, you have to maximize the cross. You have to make much of the cross and very little of your sin. But I feel so bad. It was so terrible. I did it again. I don't deserve the cross. No, you don't. You deserve hell for eternity. Yes, we do. But Jesus did something different, okay? And he paid a price for us. And so the more we focus on the cross and the less we focus on our sin, the more freedom we'll walk in. 
And see, what happens, that past sin is like a boa constrictor. And every time we move and we, and we get frustrated and we're back, it just tightens, tightens. We focus on it, tightens, tightens. And God is saying, focus on the cross. Make much of the cross. And the more we make much of the cross, the less it tightens, the less it has its grip, the more it slithers off and slithers away. Make much of the cross. Make little of your sin. I'm not saying that we should continue to sin, that grace may abound, is what Paul said. In that scripture it says, shall we sin that grace may abound? Literally, one of my seminary professors says, literally what it means, hell no, we shouldn't do that. All right? That's, I'm quoting Boo Heflin, all right? Dr. Boo Heflin, that's not me, all right? All right I'm just quoting. Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? So if grace, hey, we, the more we sin, the more grace we get. No, heck no, don't. Don't do that. But there is a point where we have to make little of our sin. At some point, we look at it and say, God, it was wrong. It's bad. It's sin. There, it's against you. It's against my family. It's against myself. It's against my church. I, I know I, it's wrong, but I confess it to you. And I thank you, Lord. You say when I confess my sin, you're faithful and just, and that you'll forgive my sin. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're putting it in the depths of the sea. You're, you're wiping us. You're casting as far as the east is from the west. You're remembering my sin no more. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I make much of the cross and not so much of my sin. You know, when Jesus climbed Calvary, he, pro he provided a picture of God's love. He also provided a pathway of forgiveness. And lastly, he provided a plan of salvation. He provided a plan of salvation. So when we look at the cross and we understand the cross, know that it's not only a picture of his love and forgiveness, but there's a way to be saved. There's a way to be saved through the cross. John 3, 17 said God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world through him. The most well-known and greatest evangelist of my generation is Billy Graham. And he, he has said once and multiple times that he estimates that one out of every two people in the pews in church are not saved. Which breaks my heart and it, it should make us tremble. And I would like to believe that that's not about church 1132, but I don't know that. And there's no way of me knowing your heart. And where you are in your relationship with God. But there are some reasons why people are falling away. And people are not accepting and understanding clearly the message of love that God has for us. The first one is that people say all good people go to heaven. I mean, seriously. I mean, this is so common. I mean, just take a look at Facebook. Man, you got Facebook theologians all over. I mean, you do. And they can tell you why you're just being a good person. You know, good people go to heaven. Uh, unfortunately, there are no good people. I agree. Good people go to heaven. There was only one that was good. All of us, all the rest of us have failed and have fallen. There's one that made it. All right. His name was Jesus. The scripture says there's no one good, not one. He even says to emphasize our good works are not going to do it. He says your good works are like filthy rags before my eyes. So in other words, not that, hey, hey, you're good. I like those good works. He goes, oh, you got to be kidding me. Without the blood of Jesus, they're like filthy rags before my eyes. Don't even go there is what he's saying. 
All good people go to heaven. It's not true. It's not true. Just as long as I believe in something sincerely is all that matters. No, it's not true. We have to have truth that we believe in. Other people say that all, uh, that all good people go to heaven and other people say all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to heaven. We all, you know, it, in the end, it all's going to work out. You know, I honestly wish that was the case. I really do. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's no one else that's going to save you. Your grandma ain't going to save you. Mooney ain't going to save you. Muhammad ain't going to save you. Hindi ain't going to save you. Being good ain't going to save you. Only, only Jesus will save you. And even in church, there are people bristling when I say that. It's because society is cramming this down our throat. And people, we've got to stand for truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I did not make the rules. But he's given us a picture of love. He's given us a pathway of forgiveness. And now he's providing for us. A plan of salvation. It's not like he left us hopeless. He's given us everything we need to extol, to humble ourselves before the cross. You know, universalism in its broadest terms says basically preaches that everybody goes to heaven and there is no hell. Denies the existence of absolute truth. You know, everything becomes relative. Hey, have you ever heard this? Hey, truth for you is different than truth for me. Okay, it might be, and I'm not even saying, and I got the truth, but I do know who I do know who is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I hope that you sense his love today. I hope that you sense that he didn't just he didn't just create us and leave us hopeless, doomed to hell for eternity. He's made every effort to love you, to provide for you, to, to forgive you, to cleanse us. He loves us. He so desires for us to all come into his presence and into his kingdom. I just wonder, do you know for certain? I'm just, do, you, do you know for certain? That if you died today, that you'd be with the Lord in heaven. Do you know that? Listen to me, church. I don't care if you've been here for years. I don't care if you're, this is your first time. Can you answer that question? Do you know for certain that if you were to die today, you'd be with the Lord in heaven? You go to heaven, and he says, why should I let you into my kingdom? What are you going to say? Listen to me. All of us are going to go through this. We might as well practice now before the real thing, all right? <laughs> practice makes perfect. What are you going to say? You're going to say, I was good enough. I followed good teachings. I helped my fellow man out. All those are great. Those are good things to do. 
Are we going to say, we begin to talk, and he looks at us and goes, no, 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 stop. Stop. No, no need to talk. The blood of Jesus covers you. Come on in. Come on in. My heart is stirred this morning. My heart is stirred this morning for our believers to grab a hold of the cross that we don't allow past sin to pull us down and weaken us. That for, for our believers here today to be able to look at the cross and see the power and victory that it gives us the more we spend time focusing on the cross. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com. 